American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about the Cradle of Catholicism in Texas, St. Mary's Cathedral Basilica in Galveston, and how the church in Texas grew from that tiny island to, in spite of disease, war, and the deadliest natural disaster in U.S. history. So, Tom, Galveston. Texans certainly know its significance, but many others may not. Give us a little background about why this city on a narrow barrier island became so important. Well, that goes back to when Texas was still part of Mexico. After gaining independence from Spain, the government of Mexico established a port on Galveston Island in the 1820s. When the Republic of Texas gained its independence in 1836, Galveston became its capital and primary port and the second most significant port on the Gulf of Mexico after only New Orleans. Then, after Texas became a U.S. state in 1846, Galveston became the third most significant port in the United States and was the largest and most important city in the state of Texas. With all of the trade conducted in town, the business district became known as Wall Street of the South. It boasted the first opera house in Texas, the first electric lights, the first telephone lines. It really was a swanky place to be. Later, in the 1890s, Galveston also became the nation's second busiest port of entry for immigrants from Europe, earning it the title Ellis Island of the West. By the turn of the 20th century, the population of Galveston stood at 36,000. So Galveston was one of the most significant cities in the United States at the end of the 19th century. It was. So let's talk about the church in Galveston. This had been Spanish in the Mexican territory, so there certainly were many Catholics in Galveston already. And the church grew and flourished along with the city. Right. First, when Texas was an independent republic, the Vatican set up Texas as an apostolic prefecture and then an apostolic vicariate. Vincentian father Jean-Marie Auden was named vicar apostolic and made a bishop. Then, when Texas became the 28th state of the Union in 1846, Pope Pius IX raised the vicariate to a diocese, making Galveston the sea city, and Auden became the first bishop of Galveston. The new diocese covered the entire state of Texas. Of course, a diocese requires a cathedral, and Odin was already working on that. Yes, he was. When he arrived in Galveston in 1841, he constructed the first parish church in Galveston, a small wooden structure which he dedicated as St. Mary's Church. In 1845, Bishop Odin decided that a much larger and much stronger church was necessary. Galveston, he knew, was vulnerable to great storms, and he wanted to make sure his church would stand forever. A decision that would prove prescient. Yep. So he purchased 500,000 bricks from Belgium. His new brick and stucco church was ready for consecration shortly after the diocese was formed in 1847, so it became the cathedral. In 1876, a bell tower was built beyond the transept with a three-ton bell inside, and in 1878, an 11-foot cast-iron statue of Mary, Star of the Sea, with her arms outstretched in welcome, was placed atop that tower, watching over the city. For many years, her illuminated crown served as a beacon for sailors coming into port. Over the next 50 years, many more parish churches were built in Galveston as the population grew, and since the town was so prosperous, many of them were incredibly beautiful stone and brick structures 
built in various ornate Victorian ways. But it wasn't just parishes that were built around St. Mary's. There were also schools, hospitals, and orphanages to tend to the physical needs of the Galveston flock. And that meant religious women. Yes. Even before Galveston was a diocese, Bishop Oden had invited the Ursulines in New Orleans to establish a school in Galveston. Seven arrived in 1847 and immediately established a school, which was the first parochial school in Texas. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, they were in the midst of building an all-new, much larger school to meet the increased demand for education. But the war changed their focus temporarily. Yes, they recognized that during the war, the need for a hospital would be greater than the need for a school, so they converted their unfinished school into a hospital and tended to the wounded from both sides. As we were researching this part of the story, we found a funny anecdote about the Ursuline sisters. During one battle, the Confederate army attacked the town, and a Confederate general offered the sisters safe passage out of town. They refused to leave, wanting to remain and tend to the wounded. So the general told them if they were going to stay, they should at least fly a yellow flag to indicate that they were neutral territory. And a conundrum, right? These nuns didn't have a yellow flag or any yellow clothing. They did, however, have a postulant who had only recently entered and still had her secular clothing, including a yellow petticoat. So during the Civil War Battle of Galveston, the Ursuline nuns signaled their neutrality by waving a yellow woman's undergarment above their convent. And it worked. The Ursulines were left alone, and the hospital was turned back into a school when the war was over. But having that temporary hospital made the second bishop of Galveston, Claude-Marie Dubuis, realize his need for a permanent hospital which meant more religious women. They make incredible nurses. So Bishop Dubuis reached out to a friend of his in his native France, the Mother Superior of the Order of the Incarnate Word and Blessed Sacrament. They were cloistered, so they could not respond themselves, but Mother Superior allowed that women who wanted to help could enter her order's novitiate to receive the rule and formation. These women would then be free to travel to Galveston to establish a whole new order. Three women volunteered, entered formation, and came to Galveston, where they established the Sisters of Charity of the Incarnate Word in 1847. Very shortly thereafter, they established the first permanent private hospital in Texas, Charity Hospital, eventually known as St. Mary's Hospital. And the timing of Charity Hospital's founding couldn't have been better. A cholera epidemic had been ravaging the town, and a yellow fever epidemic followed closely after. The Mother Superior of the New Order died from yellow fever, and there was a serious side effect, orphans. Yes, the orphans. The orphan population grew as the epidemics killed parents. The sisters took it upon themselves to care for the children, but that meant keeping them in and near the hospital and thus near the diseases. So Bishop Dubuis purchased a 35-acre beachfront plot three miles out of town for the sisters And in 1874, the sisters built the first orphanage in Texas there. This beachfront location made great sense at the time. It was safe from the diseases and dangers of city life, but it would eventually prove to be disastrous. Very. So let's take a look at where we are in the history of Galveston, Texas, and the Catholics there. It's the last few decades of the 19th century. Galveston has established itself as one of the most prosperous, flourishing towns in America. And among the swankiest. With massive, gorgeous Victorian architecture in the houses, the churches, the city buildings, the warehouses, even the Ursuline sisters built a spectacular Victorian stone and brick school building, which they completed in 1895. 
And at the same time, the Catholic Church has established itself with the diocese, developing from one church, St. Mary's Cathedral, to many parishes that were quite full, religious orders, a hospital, schools, and an orphanage, as well as a plenitude of priests. Yes, things were going about as well as they could be in Galveston as the 20th century dawned. But pride goeth before the fall. And the pride in this case was failure to recognize the vulnerability of Galveston Island to hurricanes. Some residents did fear hurricanes, as did Bishop Oden when he built St. Mary's out of good Belgian brick. Many residents thought that a seawall should be built to protect the city from unusually high tides and storms. But some weather experts insisted that it was impossible for hurricanes to hit Galveston. The town council took that side and refused to take steps to protect the city. Right. So Galveston was a sitting duck. And on September 8, 1900, the Feast of the Nativity of Mary, a massive hurricane blew across the Gulf of Mexico and slammed ashore. What ensued remains the deadliest natural disaster in U.S. history. The storm brought with it a 15-foot surge of seawater. Keep in mind, the highest point on the island was a little under 9 feet above sea level. So even at the highest point, we're still talking more than 6 feet of water. The sea rose steadily from 3 p.m. until about 7.30 p.m., with the final rush seeing the water level rise 4 feet in just 4 seconds. For a time, the entire island was underwater. One survivor said it was just houses with the seaways rolling between them. Winds were officially estimated at 120 miles per hour, but witnesses reported bricks and timbers going airborne, which suggests wind speeds much higher than that. The first buildings to bear the brunt of the storm were, of course, those along the beach. Like the sisters' orphanage. Yes. As the storm intensified, the sisters brought all of the children together in the girls' dormitory because it was the newer and stronger of the two buildings. In an effort to keep the children calm, they sang the hymn, Queen of the Waves. As the water rose around the buildings, they brought all of the children to the second floor. Eventually, the ten sisters each tied six to eight of the children to their own bodies to prevent any of them getting lost. They heard the boys' dormitory collapse, and soon after, their own building broke up around them, and they were all swept away in the churn. One sister's body was found as far away as the shore of the mainland across Galveston Bay, with six children's bodies still tied to her. All ten sisters perished, along with 90 of the 93 orphans. All along the waterfront, the story was the same. Right. The surge pulverized buildings and pushed everything inland. Busted-up buildings became a bulldozer blade pushed by the sea, destroying everything in its path. The surge deposited a line of rubble 30 feet high that struck diagonally across the island. Dozens and dozens of blocks behind it where houses and businesses and churches and other buildings had previously stood, had been scraped clean. No building remained unscathed, and the bridges to the mainland were washed out. More than 3,000 homes were destroyed. In all, anywhere from 6,000 to 12,000 people died, with most estimates saying 8,000, which was more than 20% of the population of Galveston. But in all this tragedy, there was comfort. The only Catholic church that survived was St. Mary's Cathedral. And, though she had suffered damage and the three-ton bell had been blown from the tower, the statue of Mary atop the bell tower remained, looking over the city, arms still outstretched. The Ursuline's massive stone and brick school also survived, as did the Sisters of Charity main hospital building. Both institutions became places of refuge for the 10,000 who found themselves homeless. About 1,500 lived for a time in the Ursuline school, some staying long enough to rebuild their own homes. The sisters welcomed and cared for all at their own expense. 
The aftermath of the hurricane led to some significant changes for Galveston, for Texas, and for the church in Texas. Yes. Galveston rebuilt, this time with a seawall, as well as raising the majority of the island by 10 to 15 feet. The port was reopened, but Galveston's days as the major port city and business center of Texas were over. That investment shifted to other cities, especially Houston, which was safer at 45 miles inland. Likewise, the church and the religious orders rebuilt, but the church also shifted its base of operations away from Galveston. Right. In the next few years, most of the destroyed churches were rebuilt. The Ursulines continued to operate their school out of that glorious Victorian building until it was demolished in 1962. By 1968, their school merged with other area Catholic schools. In early 1901, the bishop bought a new piece of property for a new orphanage, this time in town, because there was a whole new group of orphans after the storm. Nine sisters were immediately available to staff it. The sisters operated that orphanage until 1968. The Sisters of Charity moved their headquarters to Houston, spread across Texas, as well as other states and four other countries. In 1996, they sold St. Mary's Hospital to the University of Texas Medical Branch. However, to this day, every year on September 8th to commemorate the sisters and children who died in the storm of 1900, all Sisters of Charity, wherever they are, sing Queen of the Waves. Galveston's place as the primary diocese of Texas was eclipsed also. Yes, San Antonio had been made a diocese in 1874. In 1926, it was made the first archdiocese in Texas, and in the 1950s, the name of the Diocese of Galveston was changed to Galveston-Houston to account for the massive growth in Houston's population. A co-cathedral was designated in Houston, and in 2004, Galveston-Houston was elevated to archdiocese. But St. Mary's Cathedral in Galveston, the mother church of Texas, never lost her place. She remains the primary cathedral of the archdiocese. In recognition of her importance, she was named a minor basilica by Pope St. John Paul II in 1979. And through it all, the Civil War, various epidemics, massive growth, a devastating storm, and many more storms to follow, including the destructive Hurricane Ike in 2008, St. Mary's Cathedral remains the much-loved Mother Church of Texas and of the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston. Galvestonians still say that so long as the statue of Mary remains atop the bell tower with her arms outstretched, Galveston is safe. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and a review. To learn more about today's topic, to find previous episodes, and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com history. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on social media at facebook.com slash American Catholic History or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture, and in the past year we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show The Mandalorian and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. 
The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline. But until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas and remember that your gifts are tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth.